Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Let any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornication or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Lord, we come tonight to worship and praise your name as we look now at your word. We would pray that you would direct our thinking and our thoughts, our our manner of looking at your word, our relationship to you and our community, that we would be faithful to you in every way. You have given us a tremendous charge here. May we respond to it and understand it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. He does some very practical things. He begins out by saying, follow peace with all men. He actually says to follow two things. He says to follow peace, and he says to follow holiness. So let's look at those two in that 14th verse separately. Follow peace. If you were reading from the New International Version, you would find it says it, pursue peace. This is one of the characteristics of a Christian that is depicted throughout all of the New Testament, Jesus emphasized it, and that is that we ought to be people of peace. Troublemakers are not very Christ-like. We don't find Jesus creating trouble. Let me hasten to say, neither do we find him running away from it. We can be peacemakers and peaceable people without running away from peace. And I want to say uh, running away from trouble, but I want to say more about that in a moment. But a Christian person in the image of Christ is one who goes the second mile, is one who gives you the shirt off his back, is one who will take the person along the highway and pick them up and take them to a to a, a room or a hospital or something and arrange for their care, such as we found in the scripture. A, a person who is a Christian wants to do good to all people. A person who does not want to do good is not very Christ-like. As a matter of fact, I think we could go far enough to say that a person who is bent on stirring up trouble may not even be saved. Now, I suppose I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble for that statement before the night's over, but I've made it and I don't retract it. There's plenty of reason to assume that a person who wants to create havoc within the family, within the church, within the community, does not have the image of Christ stamped upon them. I don't care how many churches they belong to and how many years they've gone to church. What really makes one a Christian is whether or not Christ is inside. Christ being inside, one would have difficulty being a troublemaker and being Christian at the same time. 
pursue peace. Matthew said in, uh, or Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers are called children of God. Romans 12, 18 says, As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I said earlier uh, something about the fact that we do not run from trouble. Paul is not saying there in Romans 12, 8, that you must live peaceably with all men. He says, as much as it lies in you to the extent of your capability, you must live peaceably with all men. The point is, there comes a point in time in our lives and we have to stand up and say to our friend, to our neighbor, to our enemy, listen, that's far enough. Jesus did that in the temple when he came in and found them selling things and cheating the people and making an, a, a money-making project. And he came in and threw down their tables and let loose their doves and took a whip and literally drove the people out of the temple. And he said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. I would not call him a man of peace at that point. Would you? A guy with a whip in his hand that's laying it to people is not exactly docile. There comes a point in time in which we must stand up, but we must be sure that we're standing up for the right purpose and cause because somebody tramples on our feelings is not a good cause. If somebody is trampling on the name of Jesus Christ, we have a cause. If it's blaspheming the church, we have a cause. If it's ridiculing the Bible and so on. But most of the times we, we become unpeaceful when it deals with something that probably doesn't amount to too much in the long run anyway. Okay. So he says for us to, pursue, to, to be peaceful people, to pursue, be actively seeking to be at peace with everybody. To pursue it. All right, secondly, he says that we ought to pursue holiness. Now, the word holiness throughout the Old Testament is the word sanctification. And you'll have some churches that will ask you if you're sanctified. And they don't have any ideas to what the word sanctified means. So they wouldn't ask you that question. Sanctified, let me give you a definition is a process by which a believer, not a sinner, but a believer, sanctification is a process by which a believer is separated from sin and becomes dedicated to God. Now, if somebody asks me if I am sanctified, I'm going to answer no. But I'm getting there. I'm becoming sanctified. Because sanctification is a process of separating me from my sin, and I haven't got there yet. Have you? Sanctification is referring to perfection. And we're not going to make it on this earth. It's a process designed to make one perfect. And that will only be achieved after we have left this world. 
And so we can answer, if we're sanctified, we can say, no, but I'm being sanctified. God is working in me. This morning we talked about Jesus beginning a new work and he would complete it. What is he doing? He's beginning the process of making us perfect. And he will complete that process of making us perfect when we depart from this world and go to the next. On that day we become perfect. We have a perfect soul and we will be granted a perfect body. Right? Then we have become sanctified. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, pursue sanctification, pursue holiness, put effort into making yourself perfect, although you'll not achieve it in this world. Okay. That's where we get the word sanctimonious, and that's the person who, you know, is, is way beyond above any of us. That done achieved it. If you're sanctimonious, you're a liar. You can't be in this world. You can only be pursuing it, trying to achieve it, working for it. And then God's going to give it to you someday. Verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. This is going to be a toughie. I'll tell you that when we start into it. Because this verse has been misconstrued. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. You'll find it in some translations, lest any man fall from the grace of God. And there's where comes the problem. All right, let me back up to, to get into it. All of us remember Cain and Abel, the first children. They had a conflict between them because Abel brought a more able, more definite, more good, sacri a better sacrifice than did Cain to the Lord, and uh, the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's, and Cain, you remember, killed his brother and buried him out of a fit of anger, jealousy. And then God comes into the garden, into the place that they weren't in the garden but then, into the, where they were living, and said to Cain, where is your brother? Now let me answer for Cain, that won't be exactly like you'll find in the King James. You won't find the first phrase, and I'm going to use it all, but this is the connotation of it. How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Cain, meaning I have no responsibility and concern for where he is, let him go on his own. And God responds, what responded? What have you done? Meaning, Cain, you're responsible for that man. What'd you do with him? Now listen. God is teaching us without question that we are responsible for each other. Let me tell you that if I fail, it's because of you. You're responsible. If you fail, it's my responsibility. I have not been successful. And across the aisle the same way. When one of our numbers stumbles and falls, the plight of that fall is upon the rest of us. 
Had we been as strong and supportive as we ought to be, we perhaps would have been successful in holding that person within the fellowship. I don't have to tell you that there have been many numbers of people walked through the doors of this church in the last two years and have walked back out. I tell you that I'm responsible for that and you're responsible for that. If they're out there tonight and not in church, it's because the burden lies upon us and we have failed to follow through in our responsibility to them and consequently, therefore, to God. He says to diligently look out after man so that there is no man, any man, might fall grace. Let me read it to you from the Living Bible. Look after each other so that no one fails to find God's blessing. No one fails to find God's blessing. Now, what about this term fall from grace? which is a proper translation of fail out the grace, fall from grace to God. First of all, we have to understand, as I'm sure we all know, that grace is the unmerited love of God. We don't deserve it, but God loves us. And we have fallen from that position. This is not talking at all about losing one's salvation. Now make sure we understand this. There are too many verses in the Scripture that assures us positively that if we're saved, we remain saved. There is no question in my mind, and I think mostly in your mind, that once you are saved, you are within the control of God and will stay there. You are in His hands. When I'm in His hands. We cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose our position of grace. That is of God looking with favor upon us. Alcoholics have a terrible problem in doing what's called fall off the wagon. Have you ever fall off a wagon? Well, I've fallen off a few wagons, not the alcoholic wagon, but a few others. And I suspect you have as well. In which we have failed in our stated intent to achieve sanctification, to achieve the state of perfection as we travel along the road leading toward perfection, somewhere along the line we have slipped and fallen. Does that mean we lost our salvation? Not at all. It means we simply have not satisfied the expectation of God. And we've slipped. We have fallen back. As some say, a good word, we have backslidden. We have perhaps returned to the old life. And every once in a while, some of our membership returns to the old life. They go back to the bottle. They go back to doing things that they once did when they, before they were saved. And the responsibility of them falling out of the blessing of God is upon our shoulders because we are responsible for our brother. We ought to be out there trying to 
woo them back into the fellowship. But let's go on. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you. All of you have at some time or other had a bad cut or bruise, say, on your hand. And you just about get it healed up and you hit it on something and break it all open again. And it hurts just as bad as it did the first time and you call to mind how you did it the first time. I skinned up my hands out here on the wheelbarrow wheeling cement when we were pouring this last bit of cement down here. It just finally got healed up and I knocked that thing open four or five times and every time I remembered how it happened. <laughs> I pulled cement out of that place for days. How do I tell you that? Because in life, things come along that open up old wounds. Bring back hurts. Cause us to remember those things that took place years ago, perhaps, and now it's all opened up again, and the wound begins to bleed. The, the past is relived. If we're not careful, we can become bitter in reliving those past experiences, and they will cause us to have trouble. And that's exactly what he says in verse 15. The, any root of bitterness will spring up and cause you trouble. There are people, and you already have names. As soon as I mention this in your mind, I will pop up. Who are absolutely in the throes of bitterness today because they have dwelt on some problem of years ago. And it keeps coming up and up and up and up. And all it does is make a person bitter and more bitter and more bitter. It happens in the family. Some families, every time they get together, remember something that happened 20 years ago and they start to fuss all over. And so the whole weekend, what do they do? They fight over what happened 20 years ago, right? Does it not also happen in the church? When we bring up and fuss, I remember a fuss over a picture that used to hang behind the pulpit in the church that I pastored. There were two pictures in that church. One of them was uh, Christ standing at the heart's door knocking, and the other one was Solomon's head of Christ. There was one woman who wanted one of those pictures hung, and another woman who wanted the other picture, picture hung. And you know, it was interesting to figure out which picture was going to be hung on Sunday morning, because just as sure as one was there, the other woman would come the next week and take it down and put hers up. And that went on and on and on until it festered into an all-out war in that church. And finally, they decided to do something about it and call the church meeting. And the intent was to get rid of one of the people who apparently was the ringleader of the problem. And that lady stood up and said, if you put me out of this church, I'll stand right here and tell enough on every one of you that all of you will have to leave. <laughs> Guess what happened? Boy, that took care of the problem right there. There was no more. 
But those things do fester and they do spring up and create problems. And as a result, the last phrase, as a result of this, there are many people who will be defiled. Many people are hurt by the processes of bitterness that come from opening up of old wounds. All right, let's go on. Verse 16, lest there be any fornication or profane person. Fornication, of course, is nothing more than sexual sin. And because I'm running out of time, I'm going to skip over that. We all know the problems of, of sexual difficulties, and just because we're a Christian is no sign that we don't have the same temptations, the same problems, and within our churches, we know that that type of thing goes on. There's no use putting our uh, head in the sand and say it doesn't happen. And it's been exploited all over television in recent days, so there's no use dealing with that. All right, but he goes on to say, or a profane person. Then he uses Esau as an illustration. Esau... You remember came in out of the field. He was hungry and starved to death. He was the elder son and would have had the blessing of the family upon him. He would become the head of the family when his father died. And Jacob had prepared a fine bowl of soup and it smelled so good. Just plain old bean soup is what it was. And Esau asked him for some of it. And Jacob said, nope, not unless you sell me your birthright. And Esau said, well, what good's my birthright going to be? I'm going to be dead here in a few minutes from starvation. I'll let you have my birthright. Give me a bowl of soup. And that's exactly what he did. And as soon as he ate the soup and his appetite was satisfied, then he began to have remorse over what he had done. And he wanted to, to get back his birthright. But he couldn't do it because the act had already been committed. This is one of the problems of a person who does wrong and then tries to undo the wrong that he did. God can forgive us of the sin that we have committed, but the consequences of that sin go on and on and on and on. God does not take away the consequences simply because we ask for forgiveness. There was a young man that executed just a few days ago in one of the, I forget which state now, in the south somewhere. That man was a Christian when he died. He was saved. He would go to heaven even though he was a murderer. But listen, the consequences of the murder that he committed weren't excused. The person he killed was still dead. The family that he hurt was still hurt. His mother was in agony. The consequences of his acts went on and on and on. And so it is that when we betray our fellow man or when we betray God and do those things that are not right, we can come with tears and say, God, forgive me. Or to the church and say, church, forgive me. And that may all happen, but the consequences are still there. They'll go on forever. So people quit listening to them. Profane means godless or careless about God. And probably as far as the Christian is concerned, we could say profane means one who is careless about God. Look at verse 17. For we know how that afterward, when he would have 
inherited the blessing. He could have gotten it, but he now won't. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Some people have misinterpreted that and say God would not forgive him for that particular sin of selling his birthright. That's not what it's saying at all. God could forgive him if he sought for forgiveness. However, the birthright had passed legally from Esau to his brother Jacob, and God would not undo the wrong that Esau had done. No amount of remorse is going to bring back life, nor going to correct the problems that exist. Repentance does not excuse the consequences of one's sin. All right, I'm going to quit there. But these are some practical things where next Sunday morning we're going on from, from verse 18. There's some very deep things there in the next portion of this chapter. But this is the charge that the Lord makes to us as Christian people as to how we ought to live. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.